Hi, Len Power here again with Theatre of Power, my podcast focusing on theatre and related arts in Canberra and beyond. Well, in a week that none of us could have predicted, my usually busy diary full of shows to review in the near future has been reduced to zero. Hopefully many of these shows can be presented later in the year, but I fear that the logistics may make this impossible. The cost to the entertainment industry will be immense, and some companies may not survive. If you have shows booked that have now been cancelled, and you are offered an option to give your refund entitlement to the company as a tax-deductible donation, please seriously consider doing this if you can afford it. A company's livelihood may depend on it. While I'm okay with having more time to work in the garden and around the house, I'm going to miss going to the theatre and I'll need to think of alternatives to get my fix of the arts. If, like me, you've got a stash of DVDs that you've collected over the years, now would be a good time to catch up on ones you bought but haven't got around to watching. I know I have various box sets of DVDs that I could tackle. I have several box sets of BBC dramatisations of classic plays, with actors like Judy Dench and Maggie Smith, a huge collection of dramatisations of Charles Dickens' novels and plays by Henrik Ibsen, Oscar Wilde and so on. I sometimes wonder why I collect so many of these. Normally I'd never have time to watch them. Part of the reason for not getting around to watch these is the explosion of quality television programs and series in recent years. I seem to be watching a lot of shows on the ABC and particularly on SBS these days. The main SBS channel has terrific documentaries and SBS World Movies has a constant lineup of great movies, including some great classic movies from the past. Channel 9's Gem Channel is great for old British classics, particularly on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. While I complain I don't have a lot of time to watch them, I couldn't resist subscribing to Foxtel, Amazon Prime and Netflix. I've got a great interest in old movies and Amazon Prime is particularly good for this. You have to dig deep through their vast collection, but you can find some really great old movies to watch. Both Amazon Prime and Netflix produce quality shows of their own, and many new movies are now getting only a short cinema release and then being made available for streaming. This year's Academy Award contenders Marriage Story and The Irishman are recent examples of these. Hunt around through their catalogues and you'll turn up all sorts of arts-related movies and documentaries. Here are just a few recommendations from my recent viewing. One of the shows I'd booked for in Sydney in April that's now been postponed to 2021 was the Hayes Theatre production of the Stephen Sondheim musical Merrily We Roll Along. This musical was originally a flop on Broadway but has continued to have a life ever since. After Sondheim's Broadway smash hit of 1979 Sweeney Todd, his next show was a 1981 musicalization of the 1934 play Merrily We Roll Along by George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart. Such was the anticipation for this show that CBS Television started filming at auditions and early rehearsals for a planned documentary. However, when the show flopped and closed after only 16 performances, the project was shelved. Many years later, the filmed footage was rediscovered and given to original cast member Lonnie Price, who was now a highly respected director and writer. He created a documentary called Best Worst Thing That Ever Could Have Happened from the footage. It charts the hopes and dreams of a group of young actors excited by their good fortune to be in the latest Sondheim musical. Years later, cast members reminisce about the experience of being part of the show and the shock of its early closure. 
Some recovered and moved on to have successful careers in showbiz, but many of them were left deeply scarred by the experience. It's an electrifying, bittersweet documentary, and anyone who's ever been actively involved in a theatre production will find this a particularly moving experience. Even I found myself reaching for the tissues while watching this one. It's currently available for streaming on Netflix, and for theatre lovers, it shouldn't be missed. A chance discovery that I made recently on Amazon Prime is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This series starts Rachel Brosnan as Miriam Midge Maisel, a housewife in late 1950s and early 1960s New York City, who discovers she has a knack for stand-up comedy and pursues a career in it. The stand-up comedy sequences are remarkably well done. Even Lenny Bruce, famous real-life comedian of the 1950s, wanders in and out of the show, as do other celebrities from that era. The two sets of Jewish parents of Midge and her estranged husband Joel are played by performers with a delicious sense of timing and a knack of playing classic New York Jewish humour. Midge and her hard-bitten and cynical manager Susie spark off each other in the best Abbott and Costello tradition. The series has received critical acclaim and has won numerous top television awards for the production and cast members. The show's razor-sharp wit, breathless pacing, colourful characters and attention to period detail made this compulsive viewing. I was immediately addicted and enjoyed every episode of the three series available so far. I found it as good as a masterclass to watch the development of a fledgling stand-up comedian into a seasoned performer. Rachel Brosnan is a fine actress who is also able to do stand-up brilliantly. Nothing to do with theatre directly, but another unexpected surprise for me this week was the discovery of a clever suspense movie from 1951 called Cause for Alarm. It starred Loretta Young, who was a big star back then. It's probably a movie you've never heard of. I certainly hadn't heard of it before, but I enjoyed it so much that I really want to bring it to your attention. In the film, a bed-ridden war veteran with a heart condition being cared for by his wife unjustly accuses her and his doctor of having an affair behind his back and believes they are planning to kill him. He tells his wife that a letter she has just given to the mailman to post for him contains details of his suspicions to the authorities. He dies during a heated argument and the woman realises she has to get that letter back from the postman. Her nightmare has just begun. This unusual melodrama is played out at fever pitch. The ordinary suburban situation against which this story takes place makes it all the more involving. The twists and turns of the story will keep you guessing every step of the way. The movie has fallen into the public domain and is available for streaming free on YouTube. It's a good quality print and it'll have you glued to it for every minute of its running time. Now, because we could all do with a laugh this week, here are some classic theatre backstage stories. During his long reign over the old Vic Company, Michael Benthal once had cause to complain that their crowd scenes lacked imagination, urging them to mutter something more imaginative than a mere repetition of rhubarb rhubarb. A few days later, he had to call the company together again. I know I asked you to avoid muttering rhubarb and say something realistic, but I don't want a repetition of Thursday night when I heard a plebeian leave the forum crying, Taxi! Towards the end of his spectacularly successful career, Irving Berlin had a Broadway flop with Mr. President. Two songwriters met on the sidewalk outside the theatre. Are you in there? asked one at the Irving show. 
Yes, said the other. How is it, said the first. It's even worse than I'd hoped. Playwright Claire Booth Luce, author of The Women, is perhaps most famous for standing back to let Dorothy Parker pass through with the remark, Age before beauty. Ms Parker replied, Pearls before swine, as she swept through. David Hyde Pierce told a great story about the original production of the Heidi Chronicles. He was on stage in place for a scene while Heidi delivered a monologue in a solo spot, and the furniture for the party scene to follow rolled in on a conveyor in the dark. A stagehand had placed one piece wrong, and it wrecked the other pieces as they travelled into place, breaking a glass tabletop and causing other havoc, which the audience couldn't hear under the scene-change music. He thought, Oh God, what are we going to do? The lights came up as he stood with his cocktail glass beside a seasoned older actress, who turned to him and said, Well, that's the last time we ask the Clarksons. Maggie Smith's triumph in Peter Schaffer's play Lettuce and Lovage took her equally successfully to Broadway, where she starred at the Barrymore Theatre, which backs onto the Longacre Theatre. Sometime after the opening, a lively, noisy, all-singing, all-dancing black show moved into the neighbouring house. At the first matinee, she could hear them loud and clear on her stage. The Schuberts, who owned both theatres, were summoned and were full of apologies. They had heavy black velours which could be hung on the back walls of both theatres, and not a sound would come through. Dame Maggie returned for the evening performance. The stage manager greeted her. I think you'll be very happy, Dame Maggie. We've hung the blacks. Oh, there was no need to go that far, she said. And we'll have some more of these theatre stories another time. With everything closing down around town, I remembered I had a ticket to the National Gallery for the Matisse-Picasso exhibition that I still hadn't used. It seemed like a low-risk outing, so I took myself off to the gallery this week to have a look. There weren't many people there, which is how I prefer gallery visits anyway. They were offering hand sanitizer at the door on the way in and out. The major paintings were good to see, but it was the numerous etchings, dance costumes and book illustrations that appealed to me most. It's easy to forget that these artists worked across the various arts, not just painting. I also had a look at the Hugh Ramsey exhibition. This retrospective celebrates the legacy of this Australian artist, whose portrait paintings achieved success here and in France before his untimely death at age 28 in 1906. It's quite a large exhibition, and it's amazing how prolific he was, given he died so young. One of the most striking pictures was of Dame Nellie Melba's father, David Mitchell. The story goes that she wasn't happy with it, saying that his hands had been painted too large. Ramsay refused to change it, as he wanted to stress that Melba's father worked with his hands as a builder. Also in the exhibition is a portrait of his Paris concierge's daughter, Jeanne, from 1901. It was one of four works selected for the new Salon in Paris in 1902 an exceptional feat for a young Australian artist. This is a very interesting exhibition, the first retrospective for Ramsey in over a quarter of a century. So, assuming the gallery stays open, it's a good arts replacement if you're suffering theatre withdrawal symptoms. And just a quick mention of two classic movies which will be showing on Channel 9's Gem Station this Saturday during the day. 
First up is Eureka Stockade, a 1949 British film of the story surrounding Irish-Australian rebel and politician Peter Laylor and the Gold Miners' Rebellion of 1854 in Ballarat, Victoria. It stars Chips Rafferty and is well worth seeing. It's followed by 1949's Kind Hearts and Coronets, the classic murder mystery in which Alec Guinness plays nine victims bumped off one by one because they stand in the way of a young man's rightful inheritance. If you've never seen this film, you're in for a treat. It was also the basis for the 2014 Tony Award-winning Broadway musical A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Recently at the Canberra Theatre Centre Playhouse in Family Values, David Williamson gave us an uncomfortable evening of anger mixed with comedy. His target was the immigration policy in this country on the detaining and treatment of refugees and our complacent attitude that has allowed it to happen. For his birthday, retired Federal Court Judge Roger, played by Andrew McFarlane, is planning on a low-key celebration with his wife and three children. What he gets is anything but, as one of his daughters, a left-wing activist, brings home a new same-sex partner an asylum seeker on the run from Nauru. Another daughter and her female partner are border force officers, and their very religious son frowns on same-sex relationships. The stage is set for the raising of old resentments, as well as a clash over current political and personal values. David Williamson excels at this type of comedy drama, taking character types we can all relate to and putting them at odds in a domestic situation over a current political issue. Performances of the cast of Seven are very strong, Andrew McFarlane is very funny as a man struggling to be the head of the family while being swamped by the strong personalities around him. Belinda Giblin is excellent as the wife and mother who finds an inner strength and purpose she never knew she had. Jamie Oxenbold is pathetically funny as the religious Michael with a continuing love of Lego. Bishania Vincent as Nolene and Ella Price as Emily, the Border Force officers and partners, give fine contrasting characterisations, one strong and forthright, and the other not as weak as she first appears to be. As the Nauru refugee from Iran, Saba, Sabrina Walters delivers the most uncomfortable speeches in the play with conviction and skill, and Danielle King, as her partner Lisa, gives a strong in-depth performance as a well-educated and politically committed woman. The play has been well directed by Lee Lewis, who keeps it all moving at a high energy level, with well-rounded characterisations on a simple but attractive set by Sophie Fletcher. This is a very funny play with a strong message. The character types and their conflicts are a bit contrived, and the overt delivery of political messages gets a bit wearing at times, but overall this is an enjoyable show from our most prolific playwright. Perform Australia's Advanced Diploma of Performance students recently performed the dark comedy The Beast by Australian writer Eddie Perfect in a short season at the Perform Australia Theatre in Fishwick. The show was directed by Craig Alexander. After surviving a nasty near-death experience, a group of close friends wipe the slate clean and embrace a tree change, living a sustainable life in the country. But nature isn't always so welcoming. And when the friends are faced with the pressing task of killing a young cow, a chain reaction begins that sees them confront some ugly and shocking truths. I didn't think much of the play as entertainment, and its message seemed laboured and obvious and not very funny, but other people in the audience laughed their heads off. However, it was a good choice for acting students with its physical and vocal demands and the need for a great deal of trust by the actors working as an ensemble. Craig Alexander directed it well on a limited budget. As this was a drama school student production, I won't comment on individuals' performers' work, but it's fair to say there was no one on that stage that shouldn't be there. 
Dealing with the physical and verbal requirements of this fast-moving and very wordy play would be quite a challenge. Perform Australia have a large, well-appointed and comfortable theatre space with good sight lines to the stage. I've seen some truly memorable productions there over the past couple of years. It's also a great opportunity to observe drama students grow and develop their skills over time. One of the films scheduled for the Alliance French Film Festival that has unfortunately been postponed, As an Avoir by Charles, is an interesting documentary about one of France's iconic singers of the 20th century. Charles Aznavour sang in five languages, appeared in at least 30 films, wrote somewhere in the vicinity of a thousand songs, and sold hundreds of millions of records worldwide. In 1948, Edith Piaf, of whom Aznavour had been a protégé, gave him a movie camera. Until 1982, he shot hours and hours of home movies. Aznavour died in 2018 at the age of 94, and was given a state funeral in France. It appears that Aznavour gave the director of this film, Marc Di Domenico, access to his personal film collection, suggesting he do something with it. With a voiceover by Romain Dury as Charles Aznavour, the completed film charts the period of his career when he was touring the world for his singing career. Early in the film, Aznavour states that while we were looking at him, we were not aware that, through his camera, he was looking at us. The film has been expertly edited, giving quite an insight into the man himself and what he observed and absorbed about life around him. He's quite candid in the film about his failed marriages to Megan Rugel and Evelyn Plessis, but his third marriage to Ulla Thorsell endured until his death. As he once told a newspaper reporter, For the first marriage I was too young. The second one I was too stupid. The third time I was right on. The sadness of the loss of his illegitimate son Patrick to drugs is covered in the film as well. There are several high points of interest in the film. Candid shots of Edith Piaf and the actress Anouk Amey show their familiar charisma, but their real selves appear to be strikingly different to their usual public personas. Film from backstage at Aznavour's concert performances crackle with electricity, and there is a wonderful jam session where he's playing the piano and scat singing. Whenever his well-known songs appear on the film's soundtrack, you feel like they have been with you forever. Unfortunately, the narration as translated into English comes over as rather pretentious. These are words about feelings, and they don't convey that in literal translations. I'm sure it would have sounded so much better if you could just understand it in French. Nevertheless, this is an absorbing look at the man and his life in the period when he was making these films, and there is that wonderful music on the soundtrack to enjoy. It's bad luck that you can't see this and the other films in the festival lineup at the moment, but hopefully it will be back later in the year. All four of the films I was lucky enough to be able to preview were well worth seeing, and there were a stack of others that I was keen to see too. Here's a roundup of some Artsound FM 92.7 arts programs for this week. In my Broadway Musicals Yearbook program this Sunday at 5pm, I'm presenting the musicals of 1943. This was the year of Oklahoma, which influenced the direction of Broadway shows for the future. It also was the year of Fats Waller's only Broadway musical, Early to Bed. Mary Martin became an established Broadway star in Kurt Vile's One Touch of Venus, and Oscar Hammerstein produced and wrote the lyrics for Carmen Jones, a modern black version of the opera Carmen. In In the Foyer on Monday at 3.30pm, Bill Stevens will be talking to soprano Jill Sullivan about how she prepared her art song Canberra program, The Time of Roses. 
Also, local theatre performer Liz Sinclair Long will present Shopping for Underwear, a short play that was a finalist in last year's Short and Sweet Play Festival. I worked with Liz on stage in Don Parties On at Canberra Rep a few years back. She's a wonderful actress. In the Foyer is repeated at 3.30pm on Wednesdays as well. Red Velvet and Wild Baronia on Tuesday the 24th at 3.30pm features Linda Hansen in excerpts from her Bessie Smith cabaret, Empress of the Blues. Well, it's going to be a bit of a quiet time in the Canberra area for the performing arts, unfortunately. I'll continue to keep you up to date on what's happening and I'll suggest alternative arts-related entertainment during the difficult times ahead. I'll be back with another podcast soon. Please subscribe to my podcast and like and share my Facebook page, Theatre of Power Podcast. This is Len Power with Theatre of Power. The original music for this podcast is composed by Chris Oppert. Chat again soon. Got to go and wash my hands now. Music